the coronavirus and the Bible. Does the word of God have anything to say for our present time in crisis? Yes, my friends, I believe it does. And we're going to go on a journey today to explore just what God has to say to this time of need in our world. But before we begin, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, our world is facing a crisis. Lord, we are looking for wisdom. Please open your word to our minds and hearts so that we can understand the wisdom that you have for us in this time to find comfort, encouragement, guidance, and hope. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We find these words, my friends, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper and be in health, just as your soul prospers. To prosper, to be in health, this is what God wants for each and every one of us. But according to the Bible, how can we be in health? Are there certain conditions that we have to meet? Sure there are. Look, for example, at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And notice these words, my friends, if we do this, if we trust God, if we fear him, if we depart from evil, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The wise man goes on to say in Proverbs 12 and verse 8, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword. That's not who we want to be like. No, this is the contrast to it. But the tongue of the wise, the tongue of the wise, promotes health. Yes, all through the Bible, Old and New Testament, God taught his people that their well-being as individuals, their well-being as a nation, depended upon their following certain specific principles of health. And God gave, the, gave those principles to his people. We find the promise in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And in verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. My friends, it seems simple from the word of God. If we follow his principles, if we do what he asks us to do, if, he's, if we serve him, then we will have life. We will have health. We have no need to worry. But that's not everything, the Bible says. Let's continue on in our journey and see what else the Bible teaches us.
Well, it seems pretty simple so far. Do good, follow God and obey him, and you'll be healthy. You'll have a long life. God will bless you. On the other hand, disobey him, and you'll be cursed. You will get sick. All of the bad things will happen to you. That's what it would seem from the promises we've read so far. But let's keep reading. Let's go to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Well, it looks like another promise in this string of promises that God is the one who heals us. God is the one who keeps us from getting all of the diseases that are put upon God's enemies. And it's true, my friends. And I love that last promise. I am the Lord who heals you. But I have to wonder, if God is the one who heals us, then why do we get sick? Why, if we wouldn't get sick at all, does God need to say, I am the one who heals you? Well, as I'm sure you know, many, many people who follow God sincerely have gotten sick. Many have died. In fact, it seems that death comes upon all men. Why is it? Why is it that good people suffer sickness and disease? Well, the Bible has an answer to that question as well. And we need to look no further than the patriarch, Job. Yes, I'm sure you know the story. I'm sure you know the story. How Job, it says, was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Job chapter 1, verse 1. And yet God permitted Satan to attack him, to afflict him, to take everything he had, and then to give him sore boils so that he would rather have died than to live with the disease that he had. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, describes this unseen battle that takes place between God and Satan. Now, God is a God of love, but because of the sin of Adam and Eve, Satan has claimed dominion over this world. Much of the suffering that we see results from the sinful world that we live in. Let's continue our journey a little further down the trail. One day, Jesus and his disciples were traveling along when they found a man who was blind. Not only was he blind, but they knew that he had been blind ever since he had been born. And the disciples asked Jesus in John chapter 9, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Neither this man nor his parents. So if this man was suffering such a terrible calamity of going through life blind, how could it be that it wasn't the result of his sin? After all, didn't we read all these promises, how God rewards good people with good things and people who disregard him and his law suffer the consequences of bad things? Isn't that the principle that we just learned? But here's a man who has lived his life blind, 
not because of his own sin, not because of something that his parents have done. But why? But that the works of God should be revealed in him. You know, my friends, sometimes sickness and disease, just like in the case of Job, fall upon us not because we've disregarded any principles, but just because of the world we live in, because of the great controversy, or even so that, perhaps not because of this, but God can, through that sickness, reveal more of his power in our lives. Really, this goes right along with the great principles that Jesus taught. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Yes, God sends blessings, not just to those who follow him, but to everyone because he is loved. And he teaches us through the same principle to love our enemies. And yet at the same time, because of the enemy, because of the devil that is in this world, bad things happen both to the good and to the evil. So we see this issue of health in the Bible is so much more complicated than we originally thought. The promises of the Bible aren't unconditional. Because of the world that we live in, sometimes bad things happen to good people. This world is, as it were, a battleground. We are at war, not us, but unseen powers waging war for our allegiance. Let's take a look at some of the principles we found so far. First, God wants us to be healthy. He loves us. We find that in First John and Third John, verses one, Third John chapter one, verse two. Second, by following God, we place ourselves in a position to receive His blessings. Third, by disobeying God, we often suffer the consequences of our own choices and bring disease upon ourselves. This would be what we call the law of cause and effect. But then there's two more points. Sometimes God allows trials and sickness to come upon righteous people through no fault of our own, but because of the spiritual battle that is taking place all around us. But the good news is God sends his blessings, just like the sunshine and rain, on the just and on the unjust. What do we learn from all of this? Well, it means we can't judge people based on the outcome of their lives. If we find that we or someone else is sick, we can't just assume we've done something wrong. On the other hand, if we're experiencing health and good fortune, it doesn't necessarily mean we've done everything right either. Let's continue down the trail and explore this a little bit further.
Jesus was once asked this question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? To which he replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. But he continues in Matthew 22, verse 39, The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. To love your neighbor as yourself. This is the essence of the Ten Commandments. Beyond just loving God, my relationship between me and God, it's about loving others. And in loving others, maybe we should be asking the question, not how can I be healthier, but how can we be healthier? And if you ask that question, the Bible actually has quite a lot to say. So we're talking about what does the Bible say about being healthy. In context of the current crisis with COVID-19 or the coronavirus, and I ask the question, are we even asking the right question? Usually we ask, how can I be healthy? But maybe we need to be asking a different question. How can we be healthy? I'll give you a little background. As you know, my background is in IT work. I work with computers. Only recently I became a full-time pastor. But in the last six years, before I went into full-time ministry, I worked for the public health department. Again, doing computer work, I'm not a health professional. Before I went to the health, to the health department, I really had no idea what public health even is. But as I worked for about six years for the health department, I became familiar with the concept and the purpose and the goal of public health. They're asking, not from a biblical perspective, but from a government perspective, not how can I be healthy, but how can we be healthy? You know, public health has grown in the United States over more than a century of asking this question, how can we as a people, as a population, promote better health? Over a hundred years ago, there were big questions about why are people dying from plagues, from diseases that are spreading through the population. There was a push many years ago to clean up the poorer areas of many of the American cities that were contributing to the spread of disease that was affecting not just the poorer classes, but every class. Then there was a lot of research that went into some of these infectious diseases. Diseases, for example, like smallpox or the influenza of 1918 that wiped out many, many people. This area of public health has grown and morphed. Now we look at issues like clean water, proper sanitation, proper disposal of sewage, making sure that infants and children have proper nutrition and care, vaccination, immunization, and in particular in this crisis, looking at how we can prevent the spread of infectious diseases such as the COVID-19 virus. You know, many people really don't understand this aspect of public health. If I'm healthy, great. If I'm not healthy, I want to go to the doctor and ask the question, how can I be healthy? But as we just learned, the Bible is teaching us to ask the same question. Not how can I be healthy, but how can we 
be healthy. So what does the Bible have to say about this topic of public health? Actually, a lot, surprisingly. In Genesis, we find references to burying the dead. Well, this is a public health issue. If we allow people who have died or animals that have died to lay out and decompose on the ground, it contributes to the spread of disease. Sorry, that's not a very nice thing to think about, but it's a very real issue. What about when you're outside and you gotta go to the bathroom? <laughs> it's kind of funny that there's a run on toilet paper these days. I quite don't quite understand it. But you know, in the Bible, there's specific instructions for going to the bathroom. Did you ever read it? Find it in Deuteronomy, chapter 23, verse 12. Here it is. Also, you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out, and you shall have an implement among your equipment. When you sit down outside, you shall dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore your camp shall be holy, that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. You see, God connects this issue of health and cleanliness to spiritual cleanliness. And the laws that God gave to the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness and then entering the land of Canaan kept them healthy and in a very real way prevented these diseases that were plaguing the Egyptians from coming upon the Israelites. In Leviticus chapter 11, I'm sure many of us are familiar with the passage, the distinction is made between clean and unclean meats, dietary laws. The things we put in our bodies have a direct effect upon our health, both physically and, of course, by extension, spiritually. If I'm not healthy physically, I have a harder time grasping the concepts of God's Word. God's Holy Spirit can't speak to me as clearly if my mind is clouded with alcohol or drugs or poor food choices. We find more. Leviticus chapter 7, verse 21. Whoever touch, Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or an abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. What is it saying? Well, there's quite a lot of laws that go into this ceremonial cleanliness or uncleanness. And God is teaching his people a spiritual lesson, but I believe there's also a physical component. And because of these laws of being clean or unclean, people would very literally distance themselves from each other so that, and distance themselves from someone who was unclean so that they too wouldn't become unclean. How is this relevant? What are we being told today? Social distancing. Is it biblical? Sure it is. Take another example from Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 13. We're seeing this referenced a lot these days on social media. The laws about leprosy. I won't read them all to you now, but you know what it says. If someone gets leprosy, leprosy is a disease. And it was understood to be very infectious. If you touched someone with leprosy, you could get that disease of leprosy as well. And so the lepers were shunned. They were put out of the community, social distancing at its extreme, to prevent the rest of the community from contracting the disease. This is all issues of public health, and they're written and coded into the Bible as biblical laws for the children of Israel 
and it might do well for us to pay attention to these today, too. So, with all of this background, what about the coronavirus? Is this the end of time? Is this the end of the world? The beginning of the end, at least? Is this just another hoax of the government? I'm hearing all of these things and more. But again, let's go back to the Bible. Let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. He says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And he goes on to say that all of these are the beginning of sorrows. Yes, it's true. Jesus foretold the COVID-19 crisis, but he included it with many other pestilences that would come. This is not the first time our world has experienced a crisis like this. Take, for example, the bubonic plague that killed 200 million people in the 1300s, or the smallpox that killed 56 million people in 1520. The Spanish flu killed 40 to 50 million people between 1918 and 1919. And that's not to mention how AIDS has killed millions of people. Coronary heart disease and cancer has killed many, many people. No, this world has experienced many plagues before. This is not the first one, nor, I believe, will it be the last one. But there's something particularly frightening, especially to us, to me, in this generation, about COVID-19. It's not the first time the p a pandemic has swept around the world. No, it's not the last time, but there's something frightening about it. And maybe it's the first time, it's because it is the first time in my generation that we've seen anything like this. The world as we know it has ground to a halt. The economy has come tumbling down. And this, my friends, I believe is one of the signs of Christ's soon return. I'm not saying he's coming tomorrow, but we can take this and know that the nations of this world, the kingdoms of this world are waxing old. And yes, the world itself is waxing old as a garment. You know, people are saying so many things about this virus. People are saying it's a big conspiracy. The governments have conspired together to create or release this virus or to make the media hype. Or maybe it's, it's an overreaction. Maybe, maybe this virus is just a little thing and the governments are taking this as an excuse to, to gain control over people. Well, time will tell. History will tell us when it's over whether or not this is an overreaction. We may be debating this question for many years to come. I don't know. Maybe this is the beginning of the end. I don't know. But I believe there's more specific detail that we can find in God's Word. There's a lot of people, too, that say, I'm not at all worried about the virus. I'll take plenty of supplements. I'll take all my herbs. I won't get it. Who cares if other people get it? They didn't take the herbs. But what do we just study from God's Word? It's not a question of me, it's a question of we. And if maybe I don't get it because I'm taking the herbs, I'm not saying the herbs are all that effective, I don't know. Maybe they are. But if I don't get it because of the herbs, but if I contribute to someone spreading or getting the disease, who then becomes seriously ill, am I following the principles of God's word? Am I following the principle of loving my neighbor as myself? There's so many things and so many discussions that we've had about this 
virus. You know, for some of us, especially as Seventh-day Adventists, we've long studied, we've long taught about the apocalyptic events that are coming at the end of this world. We taught that, as it says in Revelation chapter 13, the governments of this world will become repressive to where they are enforcing worship, enforcing worship against our consciences on pain of death. And yes, we see governments around the world right now starting to restrict our freedoms just almost overnight. All of our freedoms, it seems, have been restricted. Is this the beginning of Revelation 13, those last few verses that are going to wrap up this world's history? Well, I don't believe so yet. Why do I say that? Because it's happened before. It happened in 1918. It's happened during World War II. It's happened before. It's happened in other countries many, many times. The freedoms have become very restricted. In this case, particularly because of a disease. It's not a religious restriction. It's a restriction on everyone because of the disease for a limited time. So I don't believe that this itself is, this, is the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 13. But I will say this. It teaches us a lesson. It shows us how quickly, how quickly things can happen. And for many of us as Seventh-day Adventists, we've grown used to saying, yes, someday, one day, things will happen and we'll see the wheels turning and we'll begin to see governments start to restrict our freedoms over years and years. We don't say it this way, but this is kind of how we think. We've got lots and lots of time, my friends. Time can be very short and I believe it's shorter now than it ever has been before. And while I don't believe that this is the end, I believe this is a wake-up call for every one of us as Seventh-day Adventists, for every one of us around the world to realize that life is not going to go on as usual from now on forever. There's coming an end and it's coming quickly. My friends, Jesus is coming soon and he's coming to take us home. And my friends, we need to believe this. We need to be teaching this. Not scare, not scare tactics about, oh, the virus is the end, but it teaches us, it tells us, it warns us something about what the end is going to be like and that this end is right around the corner. It may be the beginning. We may not ever see our freedoms come back to the way they were even at the beginning of this year. Always when governments tend to restrict freedoms, it takes a long time to loosen those back up. And we may get used to having our freedoms restricted. Little by little, little by little, we may be getting into the end of times. But I would be very careful about predicting exactly that this is the end because there's still a lot more that has to happen yet. Let's take a quick review of some of the principles we've seen. In the Bible, God gives us health principles. He teaches us how to take care of our bodies, individually and collectively. And when we follow those principles, it says, He won't put the diseases of the Egyptians upon us. We can avoid much disease just by taking good care of the bodies God has given us. But at the same time, at the same time, we can't judge others. We can't judge ourselves in our relation to God because we've gotten sick. Because disease doesn't always result just from disregarding those principles. Because of the controversy, the world that we live in, we can suffer from disease because Satan has put it upon us, because of things other people have done. So we must be very careful not to judge and to have our hearts full of love for God and for one another. Yes, Jesus foretold that plagues would come upon this world. And we don't have to fear, my friends. We can know that all of this God had in his eye. He's bigger. He's stronger than all of this. And we can trust him through all of these plagues. And no, my friends, 
I don't believe that it is a lack of faith to follow the precautions that our government has urged us to follow, to use social distancing for a time, even, yes, closing down our traditional church services. It pains my heart to think that I can't be in church on Sabbath. I can't be at prayer meeting. But my friends, I look at it not just as a, as a trial, but also as an opportunity. We have an opportunity now to do things like what I'm doing here, to share the message of God's word in ways that we haven't thought of sharing it before, to include people over the internet and through the telephone in ways that we haven't thought of including them before. My friends, I hope that this crisis becomes a wake-up call for every one of us in our church to share God's word, to share it everywhere, anywhere, and to think of church not as a place, not as a building, not as something we do at a certain time, but as who we are seven days a week, sharing the love of God, being the church, being Christ's body. My friends, I want to go home. I know you want to go home. And yes, we are going to get through this crisis, but it's not to get back to life on this earth as normal. It's to get on towards our heavenly home. And my friends, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. True faith, just like true love, casts fear out of our hearts. It doesn't always mean that we run boldly into danger. Sometimes it does. Elisha, with his servant, were in a city surrounded by enemy armies, and faith gave sight to the eyes of his servant to see the armies of angels surrounding them. He had no need to fear. But it says in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his house. Sometimes faith gives us eyes to see the danger ahead when all others are rushing forward blindly into punishment. I don't know what kind of danger lies ahead from the COVID-19 crisis, but I can tell you this, my friends, we are living right now in the hour of God's judgment, as it says in Revelation chapter 14. And we need to be ready and to be prepared for Christ's soon coming. He is coming soon, my friends, and if our hearts are right with him, if we've given our lives to him, we have no need to fear. Whether we live to see his coming, or whether, as it says in Revelation 14, we rest and we are blessed. We rest for a little while from our labors until he comes soon to take us home. My friends, keep up the faith. Keep up the courage. Until next time, God bless. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you've shown us from your word that nothing takes you by surprise. And Father, our hearts are tempted to be troubled over the events that are coming upon this world that are even now taking place. People are getting sick, suffering, and dying. But Lord, we pray that you will be with us, be with each one of your children all around the world, those who are suffering, those who are fearful. And Lord, that you will help us to be the ministers and agents of your grace and your love, not to fear within our hearts, but to be so full of your love, so lost to ourselves, we want to do nothing but minister to the good of others until you come soon to take us home. This is our prayer, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.